For me, fashion is a verb. So it's to fashion. My name's Claire Press, and I'm Vogue Australia's sustainability editor. You're listening to Wardrobe Crisis. I just think it's curiosity at the core of it. Like, I just really want to know the answer to things. You talk about revolution in 68. No, we make the revolution before. Can we just go back to making really beautiful clothes with a soul and minimize the waste and think a little before we, we make things and bring back the value? Provided you wake up every morning and you're aware of the fact that your wardrobe is in the fashion supply chain, then you're a fashion decision maker. Join me every week as we talk ethics, sustainability and the business and madness of fashion. From who made your clothes to how they impact on the environment to the politics of personal style. You know, I talk to a lot of incredible change makers on this podcast. Ambitious people who really follow through on big ideas. But this week's guest, I think he takes the cake. I was blown away by his achievements and the way he approaches it. Let's just say he likes a challenge. He is Javier Goeneche. He's the president and founder of EcoAlf, which is the Spanish clothing company that pioneers new materials made from waste. And in collaboration with partners, so like tech and innovation experts, they've produced more than 300 new fabrics. EcoAlf is a bit of a cult brand, so if you're a sustainability nerd, I'm sure you know about it. It was Spain's first B Corp. It counts fans among the likes of Gwyneth Paltrow. A few years back, she did a collab with them for Goop. And Gwyneth, if you're listening, please be listening. I'd love you to come on the Wardrobe Crisis podcast. Go on. (laughs) Anyway, the sound quality on this interview with Javier is pretty ordinary, you have been warned. (laughs) That's an Australian term for terrible. We recorded it hiding out in a basement at a trade show in Berlin. So there's lots of atmospheric pipes banging and hissing. But who cares when a conversation is this good? I suspect you're going to fall a bit in love with Javier. I know I did. There's just something about this extremely determined man of action that makes you glad the world contains people like him. He's the sort who has ridiculously big ideas that people tell him can't work, and then he just loves proving them wrong. A former competitive show jumper, he started EcoAlf, which is actually named after his son, to prove that recycled and upcycled materials can be just as good as virgin ones. So he's used algae, for example, as a biodegradable alternative to the plastic foam that you get in sneaker soles. He's worked with used coffee grounds. He's turned old tyres into flip-flops. EcoAlf has worked with and developed recycled wool, recycled cotton. They started work on recycled nylon from fishing nets ages ago before that was a thing we all talked about. But I think the big one is what they call upcycling the oceans. Now, you've no doubt heard of recycled poly made from discarded PET bottles and even maybe from those that are collected from our shorelines and beaches. So basically ocean plastic. But Javier takes this next level. He started off partnering with one fisherman in Spain. Then that became three, then 3,000. And now he's working with fishermen in Thailand as well. And he persuaded them to fish for ocean plastic. And some of it is quite deep, like down to 150 metres, I think he says. And this trash is bycatch. So what they used to do is chuck it all back, right? But Javier's persuaded them to collect it. And then it can be sorted, cleaned and turned into new yarn. 
He's also working on a fabric that reduces microfiber pollution. And he tells this story about how when he learned that polar fleeces with their broken filaments were one of the worst contenders when it came to microfiber pollution, he just stopped selling fleeces. And they'd been a massive big seller for EcoAlf. So this is a man with principles. But I'd say this episode is a call to action. This is one of his phrases. Javier likes to say, EcoAlf is not a storytelling company. It's a story doing company. Another one of his favorite sayings, in fact, it's all over EcoAlf clothes. There is no planet B. Before we begin, quick shout out to our lovely new patron supporters and to all our citizen producers and to our friends at EcoEdge who help us share this podcast. Don't forget to hit subscribe if you're listening in iTunes and please tell your friends and tell me what you think. As usual, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Mrs. Press. Avia, we're recording this in Berlin just before Berlin Fashion Week, but you're based in Madrid. You're my very first Spanish podcast guest, Ole. What an honor. <laughs> I want to start by asking you about what the sustainability scene is like in Spain. Well, I think it's, it's, it's getting better. So fortunately, more and more people are starting to get uh, sensible no, to many issues. I think uh, Spain, like uh, probably Australia and many other countries, leaves a lot about tourism. So I think uh, how we preserve our beaches or our coasts, everything has, is very important for us. So I think we need to be very sensible no? how, how we look after all the amazing treasures the country had. In every country, there's a lot of people who are starting to be very sensible and others which are not. No? Unfortunately, in Spain, what we have is politicians which are not. So I would say the normal people are much more sensible than our politicians. No? Sustainability hasn't been in the agenda of our politicians uh, since I'm young. And, uh, and that's a big issue. We're actually, we are <laughs> recording this at the back of a show space. And it's always hard to find a place. We're basically in, I think it's a bathroom, but it's being yeah. used as a bottle storeroom. And the pipes are making a noise. Yes. It's atmospheric. Yes. So apologies for the noises, but it is the best place we were able to find. But you, when you began EcoAlf in 2009, is that right? 2010? 2009 was the idea. Um, it was very pioneering, this idea yeah. that you would... Well, I had just sold in my other company, my other fashion company. And to be honest, I wanted to work in sustainability. So I spent like a year, long year, trying to find a good project to work in Spain. But unfortunately, in Spain, there's not like good foundations or companies around sustainability so at the end my son Alfredo was, had been, has, was born and I decided I wanted to try to mix together sustainability and fashion no? and try to create a company which was truly sustainable. But why? Uh, was it because you had become a father and you wanted a better world for Alfredo? No, to be honest, in my family, everybody, everybody is very sustainable. My mother, uh, especially sustainable and it was something that was always in the conversation. What do you mean? What was she like? Well, she was uh, always in like 30 different projects from saving the whales in the north of Canada to saving the seals in whatever. Or save. She was always like trying to save different kind of uh, courses. No? It was always in the conversations. It was always on the uh, Sunday lunch uh, we had with family. And, um, yeah, but that isn't what makes someone think, okay, I'm going to start a company that only uses recycled materials that only works with resources that are already in the loop. That's a pioneering thing, especially then. Yeah, well, well, the thing is, I had worked in fashion, so I said, okay, how can I create a 
sustainable fashion company. I believe the most sustainable thing to do was not to keep on using natural resources. So recycling could be a solution if we were to make like a new generation of recycled products with the same quality and design as the best non-recycled. No? That way we could demonstrate there's no need to keep on digging deeper and deeper to get petrol, but we can transform what other people call waste into polymer, yarn, fabric and product. The problem is that when I went to the market in 2010, there were no cool recycled fabrics. So fabrics, recycled fabrics were only recycling a small percentage. And they were not oh, very... So they had a part recycled content. Yeah, 18%, 15 20 And they were not very fashionable. So I started traveling around the world. And I met this amazing woman in 20, nearly 2011 at the south of... Um, two hours from Taipei, in a city called Taichung, which had, was recycling plastic bottles to create carpets. But she had a lot of sensibility. So we started developing the same, the first fabrics for Equalf. It was Equalf 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. Right now we have developed over 300 fabrics, but I mean, the first six was made by this woman. And then I kept on traveling and traveling and started recycling the nets in Korea and making fabrics. Fishing and nets. Fishing nets, yeah. Of Nylon 6.6, .6, which is the, uh, no, the best quality nylon. No? And, uh, I don't understand what that means. Can you explain? <laughs> Well, basically, nylon is polyamide, so there's many different ways of recycling polyamide, but one is through the nets, no? There's a lot of fishing nets in the world which are made of nylon 6. But what about the quality? Well, it's, it's, it's an amazing polyamide quality. So for you to get an idea, when you see one of our jackets made with nets, it would have taken seven chemical steps from that net to that fabric. If you would do the same process from the petrol, it's 17 chemical steps. So that's why there's so much safe in water, energy and emissions, apart from cleaning up the waste, uh, because it's half of the steps. But at the end of the day, instead of doing petrol polymer yarn, we do fishing net polymer yarn. So we can all easily understand that by using non-virgin resources that we're saving on footprints. So we're saving on energy, yeah. water, yeah. emissions. Emissions. Can you give us some data around that? Like how eco-friendly is it to use recycled polyester or recycled nylon? Well, it's about 40% less energy. It's like 35% uh, less emissions. Uh, depends on some fabrics, but you can get into even 40% less water. So it depends a lot, no? But, um, but obviously there's a, there's a big save, no? Especially with the cotton. I mean, cotton is probably one of the things the company is investing more. People are not aware, but cotton is not very sustainable, no? At the end of the day, you need like 2,500 liters of water for every t-shirt you produce, no? Up to 10,000 liters for a pair of jeans. Up to 10,000 liters, it's amazing. Now, if you see the the film about the Aral Sea with Isabel Cosset, it's quite sad, no? How the Russians decided to give water to the cotton plantations in Kazakhstan and they dried out the Aral Sea in less than two years, no? It's a desert right now. Once the fourth biggest inland lake, yeah. now it's just dry, nothing, and also toxic. Yeah. The dust is toxic, yeah, people no. are getting sick. No, it's a disaster, no? Like a few months ago, there was this article in Ecotextiles News, which was terrible to read. No, it was forty-five thousand acres of forest uh, burned down in Ethiopia to make cotton plantations. In where? Ethiopia. 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 Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to say it. Ethiopia. No, it was uh, forty-five thousand acres. No, it was like. I didn't wow. see that. It was terrible. And uh, the problem with those all those cotton plantations it has a lot of chemicals, a lot of pesticides. So. Uh, What's your solution? The solution is, first of all, to start using other materials. But also recycled cotton. And that's a recycled cotton. The problem is when we started talking about recycled cotton four years ago, it was very tough because, uh, I mean, we get the leftovers from the factories and the leftovers from um, the cotton you throw away. So, so we, literally just bits of cotton that have been, they would have been brushed up off the floor. Yeah. 
and t-shirts, old t-shirts and whatever. No? So, so then also post-consumer waste yeah. that we can recycle. So at the end, we separate it by colors, and but we get a very short and even an unstable thread, so it's not easy to work with. And our first qualities of recycled cotton, they were very stiff. So clients didn't like them. No, We explained the, the, the complication of the process. and. May I just stop you there? But EcoAlf is actually making these fibers. You're working with suppliers directly to make them for you. Yeah, these yeah, absolutely. fabrics. Absolutely. We have over 16 joint ventures right now. So we develop a lot of materials. Right now, we'll probably launch in, uh, in the next six months a new yarn, which is mixed. It's, it's 70% recycled cotton and 30% recycled polyester made with the a plastic bottle from the bottom of the ocean. So it's our own yarn, the same yarn we're using here in the, in the sneakers. So, so yeah, we start, I mean, in many, pro- in many projects, we start from re- collecting the waste and then we look for the different uh, partners to help us create the polymer we need, the yarn we need, and the spinners to do this. And so, yeah. I want to come back to your original material, which is recycling polyester from PET bottles. We talked about how when you do that, you can cut the footprint, the eco footprint of virgin fiber. But every time I talk about this on social media or on the podcast, people say to me, hang on, what about microfibers? If we're creating a new polyester from ocean plastic, are we not then putting the plastic back into the ocean every time we wash it? Uh, partly, yes. I mean, uh, the problem with microplastics and microfilaments is that also, yeah, they get back to the system. No? So we... We started talking about microfilaments in the company three years ago and said, okay, what's the problem with this? So then we started making analysis with um, innovation centers. And first of all, we discovered that the most, the biggest problem with the microfilaments is for the yarns which are broken, no? like, the, like the fleas. No? The polar fleas is terrible. It's probably the worst uh, material. No? So we said, okay, first solution, stop using polar fleas. Really? So we stopped using polar fleas three years ago. Really? Uh, which was a... It was, uh, I mean, jackets of polar fleas was a very good seller. And we stopped. No, I'm shocked not that I know that polar fleas sheds terribly and we'll share some links to the research around this, but I've never heard someone say the solution is to stop using polar fleas, knowing that you sell it really well. It's very Yeah, but that's the same, the same way we decided we weren't going to use leather. I mean, when you see all our handbags, when they started, it was mixed with uh, recycled nylon, recycled polyester mixed with leather. But at the end, when we started working with the factories, uh, it was impossible to follow the trustability of the chrome. So they were telling us, okay, we're the not using chrome. Process. Yeah, but then we went to the factories and said, yes, you are using chrome. Well, but so at the end, we got tired of, uh, of talking with these guys and said, okay, we don't use leather anymore. Okay, we don't use leather because we don't, we're not able to tell our clients that it's chrome free. Um, and so that's, I mean, we probably, we take hard decisions, but it's the easiest. So with the polar fleas, it's putting a lot of microfilaments to the system. Okay, we don't use polar fleas. How many were you selling before you decided to give it up? A lot. <laughs> it's, it's a very good seller. I mean, polar fleas is something people use a lot, but uh, but it's a it's a broken filament, so it, it, it throws thousands of microfilaments to the system. When you use continuous filament, like the ones we use for the jackets, they don't throw so much filament because it's uh, it's not broken. And then we started a program uh, one year and a half ago with other six companies in Spain. Uh, with the guy who's making the yarn for us and our spinner and a washing machine company. We're like six in a consortium to start developing like a new yarn with that polyester, which uh, would be able to throw up to 60% less microfilaments to the system. Because it's a tighter weave? Yeah, it's a way, the way how you do it. The way it's actually spun. 
So that's what we're working on. It's an innovation. It's an innovation program. So you're the first person I've ever spoken to who runs a brand who has actually been daring enough to say, I'm not going to use it then, yeah. and I'm going to throw all my energies into trying to find an alternative. Yeah. Most people say, well, the research is only in its early stages. We don't have a solution. We don't know. Yeah. But well, you're saying, well, we could know. <laughs> we could try. Well, I think, I think what, what uh, I've learned since I started Equalf is that practically everything you can do if you invest in R&D. So, uh, I mean, when I started, they were saying I wasn't able to do this fabric. I wasn't going to be able to do so thin fabrics to do uh, down jackets from recycle. At the end of the day, it's taking us more or less, but we've been able to achieve practically everything. Wow. When we started, when we started investigating to create all the outsoles for our, all the inside of our outsoles made by algae, it was the same thing. It was full of problems. And now all the new collection has the outsoles made with algae. Okay, just to explain a little bit more on what you mean with that, you're talking about your shoes, which have an alternative to plastic or rubber soles made from algae. Yeah, from unfortunately, algae is, is creating a lot of problems in many places. So it's been collected by this company in Orlando, and uh, and we started working with them. How could we create the foam inside all our outsoles made by algae? Because it's biodegradable. Yeah, it's biodegradable. And uh, it's natural, it's organic. Uh. So what are the problems? No. Oh, you meant that it's creating problems so it's good to collect it from the environment. No, and also, for example, we had a first problem at the beginning because it did smell. <laughs> so. <laughs> so most people say you can't use that smell. Yeah, so you can't use it, it's going to give you a problem. And what do you say? You go, I can, because I can always find a way. Yeah, it's a matter <laughs> of, uh, okay, well, what, what, what's the problem? Well, let's invest, let's try to, to make it happen, no? So right now we're delivering, our, uh, presenting a new yoga line in seven months, which we have been working for the last year and a half, developing all the yarns and the fabric. And the mat yoga is made by algae. Yeah. The yoga mats. The yoga mat, algae. sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like mat yoga better. <laughs> <laughs> you seem to be a very stubborn individual. Like, I'm not taking no for an answer. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I probably am. And I have a team which is some, some people of my team are even worse than me. So we're probably a very stubborn company in general. So, I mean, I have a girl inside the company which now started with me as creative director. But she has been since the beginning developing all the fabrics with me. And now for the last two years she left designing and she's running the innovation sustainability department. And, uh, and she's, she doesn't accept the nose nuts. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing, but... You say, similar to this, at the beginning of one of your videos about ocean plastic, you say, we've got a choice. We can either ignore all the terrible things that are happening in the environment until it's too late, or we can take action. Mm. Yeah, I think I always tell my people now that uh, inside the company that we're not a storytelling company, we're a story-doing company. And, and that's what we want to be. So I don't want to tell you, okay, this is what's happening in the ocean. Okay, I know what's happening in the ocean. So what are you doing? So that's why we started the projects. No? We started with this project in Spain with three fishermen who let okay, us put... upcycling the oceans yeah. we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I jumped from one thing I to another. I like it. Okay, so... Um, but it was funny because one day I was in a port talking with the fishermen about the nets and he said, Javier, you should come out and fish with me and see how much waste gets caught in the nets every time we pull up the, the nets. Uh, so you were saying, we know that we can use this nylon that's waste from fishing nets to create fiber. And yeah. he was saying, hang on a minute, there's also plastic caught in it. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, so and what do we do with the plastic that gets caught in it? I said, what do you mean? I said, yeah, every time we pull up the nets, there's a lot of waste. And he said, what do you mean a lot of waste? I said, yeah, a lot of waste. 
And uh, so I said, okay, let's go fishing together. Let's see it. So I went out fishing with him, and it's true. Every time they pull up the nets, unfortunately, this plastic bottles, an aluminum can, a glass bottle, plastic. So they're literally catching trash. They're literally catching trash. And unfortunately, it's not on the surface. It's in the bottom, because every time a bottle doesn't have a cap, it goes to the bottom. The aluminum can, when it's full of water, it goes to the bottom. So it's in the bottom of the ocean. And um, Whereabouts is this that you first met those fishermen? In Spain. In Spain. Where? Uh, well, I met him in the north of Spain, in Vigo. But then when I started saying, okay, I came back to Madrid, I said, we have to do something with this. And I remember people in the company, especially the board members saying, but why? I mean, we have so much waste in land. Why do you have to want to go, want to, go to the ocean? And I said, because nobody cares about the ocean. So nobody's doing anything about the ocean. And that's, and the problem with all that plastic in the ocean is it converting to microplastic and the fish are eating that plastic and we're eating that fish. So we better start doing something about it. So uh, I mean, in fairness, people are doing things about it because Parley is doing amazing work and collaborating with Adidas and did begin collaborating with G-Star or for the oceans. But they were looking at plastic bottles as shoreline waste. Yeah. This is very interesting. I haven't heard, aside from IcoElf, anyone actually going down and fishing for the trash with a yeah. net. No, I've had a lot of meetings with people from Parley and they're amazing what we're doing, but it's, yeah, basically it's in the shoreline and two miles from the shore. And this is really 150 meters underwater or 200 meters underwater. So that's what the fishermen are getting with the nets. So how did you persuade your board that you actually should be using this material? Well, to be honest, it was quite a funny story because they said, Javier, but I mean, there's so much work. You, you need to focus a little bit more on selling jackets. And I said, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I understand, but this is so important. We need to do something. They said, okay, if you uh, find the funds to do it, uh, then you can do it. But you just went out fishing with one fisherman or three fishermen, right? Yeah, with one, with one, with one. Right. And, uh, so I said, okay, if uh, I'll build a company and I'll build the, I'll get the funds to do this project, and and I convinced this philanthropist in New York, which is called Henry Pinkers, which loves the ocean, to give me the money to start the trial project in Spain. So when was this? This was in end of two thousand fourteen. No, uh, yeah, and uh, so that's why we created the Equal Foundation, and then the Henry Pinkers Foundation gave us the uh, the money to do the trial project, which, to be honest, I had no idea how it was going to work because. I needed to convince the fishermen, let me put containers in the boats, let me put containers in the ports. And then I, I had to And then to you got to convince them to go through it all and take it out. Yeah, yeah. Well, they were taking it out. The problem is they were throwing it back to the ocean. Ah. So the same way they were throwing back the fish, which was broken back to the ocean, they were throwing the plastic bottle. It was just a matter of doing like this with the hands, no? They were throwing it out. But it was quite amazing. I mean, I, I phoned... So I said, how can I get... Uh, where is the biggest fleet of trolling boats in Spain? It was in Alicante. So Are I you a fisherman? No, no, no. <laughs> so I phoned the, uh, the head of the Fishermen Association, uh, Nacho Yorka, which now is a very, very good friend. And sometimes in life, it depends with whom you talk. No? And this guy was amazing. So I told him on the phone what I wanted. I said, take a train and come here. And I said, he believed in it. Yeah. So oh, he got it. He got it. And uh, so I went there and he said, yeah, we want to do something. Also, fishermen are lately always criticized because they say, no, no, no. And, uh, well, I had read that 10% of marine debris comes from fishing boats, but then someone sent me recently a story from, I think it was National Geographic, that was suggesting that number was much, much higher, like something like 40% or even 60%. Well, I think from, know. from my experience, I think a huge amount of waste is still coming from the rivers. 
Um, this year we were in, in May and it was the BBC who was going to go there and record. No, it was record. They wanted to get in a boat and see what was happening. And when they lift up the nets, I was quite shocked because there's so much waste. And uh, it's true, it had been raining for the last 15 days in, in Spain, heavy rains. And I think the rivers had pulled out so much waste. Uh, it's amazing. No? When you when you go to countries like Philippines, where I was there seven months ago with a big foundation who wanted to to replicate the Upside in the Oceans project in Philippines because we were doing it in Thailand. And we went past a river and I said, well, we have to start working in the river. Why in the ocean? I mean, we have to stop this before it gets to the river because it doesn't matter. We take 400 tons out of the ocean and we've got millions coming in every day. And the sea is downhill from yeah. everywhere, so that's where it ends up. Yeah, and, and it's true, no? Um, well, I had a meeting a few weeks ago with this Italian explorer who's going to do the 10 biggest polluted rivers in the world. And he was showing me images of rivers and he was like, wow, no? it's, it's really mm. in India, in Bangladesh, in China, in in, in many Indonesia. places, Indonesia, people are throwing, I mean, villages are throwing everything to the river and that's coming out. Boom, boom, boom. So, um, you now have 3,000 fishermen fishing for plastic for you? We Now we have over 3,000 fishermen in Spain. We started with three, now it's over 3,000. So but we, not even that, you then went to Thailand. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, well, not even that. Seriously, do you sell any jackets? Do you have any time to sell any jackets? I hope the board doesn't listen because that's what I say, that I should dedicate more time to sell the jacket. But you persuaded the Thai tourism authorities to get behind you and to roll out this project in Thailand. To be honest, it was the other way around. Oh. I was giving a conference in Istanbul, in Sustainable Brands Istanbul, and there was somebody uh, which was a consultant for the Thai government, and uh, a brand consultant for the Thai government. And when I finished the talk, he said, Javier, would you help me replicate this in Thailand? I said, well, to be honest, we're a very short team, and Thailand is like, quite far. But do you go to Asia? And I say, yeah, I go to Asia every month and a half. Um, so would you mind stopping by Bangkok? And the next time I said, okay. And I was quite impressed because when I landed in Bangkok, I had the uh, people from the Ministry of Tourism, Ministry of Sustainability waiting for me for the meeting. And uh, so they were like, because in Spain we did everything by our own. We never had the help of the government or the tourism or nobody. And so I said, okay, these guys are serious. And so finally we we signed this joint venture for three years. I go every two months. So I'll be Dear. going now. Yeah, I go every two months and a half, two months. I go now in 15 days again. And uh, so we, we we started operations in Rayan and then we're doing Kotao, Samui. Um, we already installed containers. I mean, the uh, swimwear collection we launched uh, a few months ago, which was in the shops in one month. Is all made by the waste from the bottom of the ocean of Phuket. So the thing is that when we come to a new country, we start from scratch. So I had to say, okay, how can we create the logistics? How can we collect the waste? We have to convince the fishermen. We have to in, also in Thailand, we're working with the beach cleaning associations and the scuba diver community. And then who can make the polymer for me? Who can make the yarn? Who can make the fabric? Who can make? Because we never move the waste around. So where we get the waste, we do to the final. Oh, so product. it's actually a local supply chain everywhere. I didn't know that. So if we recycle the coffee in, in, in Taiwan, then we make till the final jacket. Okay, right? now you jump to somewhere else. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> You're <Yeah>. also <laughs> using coffee ground waste yeah. in order to create fabrics. But before I let you tell me about that, I just want to know more about this Thailand situation. So you're making the product locally in order absolutely. to keep the supply chains short. Why? For climate reasons or yeah, because absolutely. of... I think, it, I mean, for us, it would be much easier to, once we have the waste, move it to the factory that we already have the ability to develop. But I don't think it's very sustainable to be moving the waste around. So 
every time we start, so if we recycle the used tires in Spain, we make till the final flip-flop in Spain. We, we don't move. Stop it. Yeah. We're not talking about used tires yet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what star sign are you? Gemini. Ah, that yeah. explains it. Me too. 29th of May. And ah, you? I'm a Gemini too. We can't keep focused on one thing. Yeah. It's that's my job to keep you focused on the exactly. thing. Exactly. That's your, that's okay. your duty today. You mentioned tires. In what way do you use upcycled tires? That was the first project we did in Spain with a Spanish company. And uh, to be honest, I contacted them because I wanted to see if I could use the crate powder with the used tires to make the outsoles of our sneakers. But then we decided to work together on a new project, which was creating this flip-flop. And we, um, we collaborated with the Innovation Center of the Shoemaking in the north of Spain, in Arnedo. And it was like a nearly two-year R&D program because we didn't want to use any glue, no conglomerates to fix all that powder. So it's all made by heat. It so it's us, one piece. It took us nearly two years. It was amazing. When you see, it, it, it was a quite sophisticated project because when you see a tire, which I had never seen before in, in the, the interior part of a tire, it has metals, it has oxidants, it has textiles, it's so many things. So we needed to break those tires and then clean them up, take everything away, convert it into micro, micro powder. And then by heat, it was converted into... It was a beautiful project. It was one of the first projects we did. And it's, uh, it's all handmade in Spain. It was something we were very proud of. You mentioned coffee gram waste. Mm. How do you form that into a fabric? Where does it go? And where was that idea from? Well, we work with a partner in Taiwan, Escafé, which uh, they have this agreement with, uh, with a big cafeteria chain. So they collect the humid compound of the coffee every morning. And then they dry it out, they convert it into powder, and they mix it with the polymers of plastic bottles. So what's the good thing about coffee? The good thing about coffee is it has natural properties. So it's fast drying, it's auto control. Actually, they reckon it makes you thin. <laughs> they say? There was a ridiculous fabric that I remember writing about, which was supposed to make you thin because it was sort of detoxing and cellulite reducing. Okay. And they made these jeans <laughs> and it was like, they've got coffee, they're treated with coffee, so you're going to look... I don't know, detox I didn't know that properly. I don't think it's true. But I do know that coffee waste is an enormous problem. Yeah. Even just what I'm sure that listeners will relate to this. Every morning you see a local cafe, throw the coffee in the bin. Yeah. They don't Absolutely. compost it. No. Generally, because there aren't collection. I mean, just generally the systems aren't in place to collect it. Yeah. Why would you mix it with a polymer? Well, because we introduce it in the polymer to give the properties in a natural way, so you don't have to give it in a chemical way. So if you want to give those properties, like UV protection, auto control, etc., you can give it through chemicals or you can give it through a natural way. It's very sciencey. You're obviously finding the right partners who've done the research in innovation. So you're obviously, you're obviously a person who likes to bring together teams and ideas. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. this is actually research that's been done by experts in different areas. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we work a lot with innovation centers, we work a lot with partners, we look a lot with uh, innovation fabric departments, which to be honest, not right now, it's um, for us it's been amazing. And when, when you talk with this guy, I mean, you, you have these big companies, which uh, when I started, they didn't want to work in, in, in recycled fabrics because they were more expensive. It was the crisis, those years, so people didn't want to pay more. But it was funny because when I arrived to this uh, innovation department, they were so happy. Because these guys, what they want to do is develop things. No? The problem was always like, Javier, okay, but you, I mean, you've convinced our innovation people to do this, but how many meters are you going to buy? So my problem was that I was quite small. So it wasn't like 
big group coming and saying, okay, do this innovation because at the end of the day, I'm going to buy one million uh, yards. So I wasn't going to buy one million yards. And I was told them, but don't do this for me. Do it for yourself. I mean, you, you are going to be in front of the other fabric manufacturers. This is the future. You're not doing it for Javier or for Equal. You're doing it for your company. Invest in R&D because this is definitely the future. Why are you in business? Why am I in business? Well, I've always been an entrepreneur, so I like uh, creating things. And then this project, I think it's very special. No? I think it's, uh, it's a mix. Obviously, you have like the fashion part where you have to manufacture, design, deliver, uh, invoice, everything. But then you have the other part, which is amazing, no? which is all the part of uh, having ideas, making them real. But also very clearly purpose. Yeah. I think... I don't know, perhaps this is also a bit stubborn, but I think we need a new generation of companies which uh, show that things can be done in a different way. So I don't think what you do is enough anymore. I think how you do it is it's very important. No? So I think anybody can do a building nowadays, but how is that building done or a car or a jeans or a t-shirt? So what you do is not enough. And um, so I think... Fortunately, there's a lot of companies right now which are starting, which are showing that things can be done in a different way. You were the first Spanish company to become a B Corp. Yeah, very proud. I think it was very important. Uh, I think it, it took us like a year. Of it's time. like we're in the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry it, it, about it, the going pipes. <laughs> but why was that important to you? Well, it was important because, um, because it was, it, it was uh, for us, it was also a way of measuring many things. No? And sometimes... We were always working and working, but we, we were never measuring things and, uh, and we were never auditing things. And so it was a way like, okay, let's stop, let's measure, let's audit or a supply chain. Let's see what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, what we can improve. What... And it was a big test. It was nearly one year of, uh, of audits now. And also I love the claim of, because you know, I love you know, the, the way they say it's, it's not necessarily the best companies in the world, but for sure the best companies for the world. It's that lovely. A, yeah. But actually, you know, lovely sounds so light. It's vital. You yeah. say that you think we're on the brink of a new era where business needs to be done differently. I think that's so obviously true, but very few are actually taking that step so far. Well, I think it's or do you e think more are coming? Well, I think it's easier for the new companies that uh, are born. I sometimes, well, well, when, I, when I go to talks and I have round tables and I see these guys from big companies and, and it's so hard for them because they are measured such in a short notice. I mean, all their budget, their objectives, their bonus, everything is six months. So they are not brave enough to take decisions because probably those decisions in the short term will lack the results and they will lack and, and it will not improve their PNL. So, well, most of them would not say, hey, I'm going on this fishing boat and I'm going to collect no. these bottle tops and now I'm going to focus on this as my new material source. Yeah, probably not. Um, I, <laughs> but I you've made it work. How have you made it work? What do you think allows you to take those kind of slightly wacky ideas and then actually make them work for you? I believe a lot in personal relationships. So uh, I went, uh, we were in 45 ports in Spain. I, I've went to all the 45 ports myself. Yeah, you said you'd go to Thailand every two months. Yeah, so I remember yeah. when I started, every week I dedicated two days to go to a different port. And I waited at five o'clock in the afternoon when they were coming from fishing. And I invited the fishermen to take a beer in the cantina. And I would start talking about the project. And, and I said, okay, these guys are already doing it. I want to convince you guys to do it. And by the way, I'm not going to pay you. 
So this uh, you have to do it for free. And uh, what do you mean? So, yeah, yeah, I mean, there was because this there was a project in the European. Wouldn't they say no? Give me money. No. Well, probably some of them would think about it, but uh, I was saying, look, there was a project in in the European Community which was called Fish for Litter, and they were paying the fishermen in the south in, in France. It was a trial test, no? for every kilo of waste they took out from the ocean. Uh, what we discovered after many months is that many fishermen were taking waste from their houses, not <gasps> only from the ocean. And when, oh, the, and, the, when no. the, and, and when the money stopped from the European community, they stopped taking the waste out. So I was telling the fishermen, this is up to you. You mean you can catch the waste and throw it back to the ocean, and then you catch it back again tomorrow and throw it out, and then the rest of your life like this and your son, or you can put it in a container. Up to you. It's your decision. And uh, it's been amazing. You go to the ports now, I mean, um, God, like well, Yosa, where there's 80 boats, and it's amazing. You get there at 4.30 in the afternoon, you see all the boats one by one with the container, taking it down and putting it in, in the big container. Oh. It's like stewardship of the ocean. That was a phrase. I interviewed Livia Firth, and she talked about stewardship of the land. She was talking about wool growers in Australia. But the idea of being a custodian of your environment, because that's where you make your livelihood yeah it's the same it's the same this is the, i mean this is your way of life this is uh, why should you throw it back to the ocean again so and they're so proud right now because i mean we we've had so many televisions buzzing by I mean, we've had an H, nhk bbc tfa uh, over 15 televisions coming and, and talking with them so they they feel they're doing something important i like the idea of pride in your environment because we all need to find a way to take responsibility I like the idea that you said actually when you pay someone it becomes a different transaction too. So those two things together that you feel a responsibility because you're part of it, mm. but also that no one's making you. Exactly. Or even the, the incentive is of your own making, I think, is something, right? See, you feel proud of something. You're doing it because you want it. I said, the day you, you're tired, don't do it. You don't want it. But it's up and so to it's you. so it's spreading. Not. Yeah. And right now, we, we want to launch in 2019 Upcycling the Oceans, all the Mediterranean which we have been working for the last six months. You're going to go to every port there. <laughs> so we want to do south of France, Italy, Croatia, uh, Greece, Morocco, how does it be? So our goal is to work with over 30,000 fishermen in all the Mediterranean, which is an amazing project. Are you looking to partner with other brands to use the material? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So right now, not only, not only the PT, because we're getting, PT is only 10% of what we get out from the ocean, so we have a lot of polypropylene, we have a lot of glass, we have a lot of aluminium. What do you do with that? Right now we're recycling 73% of everything that comes out from the ocean. Not Equalf. Equalf is only recycling the PET, but 100% of the aluminium has been recycled, 100% of the glass has been recycled. Because when we take out every week, we collect from the ports, we take it, we have six categorization plants in Spain we work with, and so they categorize all the different materials, and the aluminium is sent to the aluminium recyclers, the glass. And right now, we're trying to close the circle with all those materials. So we're working with a construction company, which is getting one of the uh, materials to make assets. We're working now in another project with a huge furniture company to make uh, a new line of uh, chairs made with polypropylene. So the idea is to try to create a circle with all of these materials. You are actually a legend. That's what we'd say in Australia. <laughs> legend Thank you very is much. a good word. <laughs> I want to just finish up by asking you about the clothes because the inspiration and the, I'm going to use the phrase, good works is obvious. But you have to make a product that mm. people want. You have to make a shoe that makes people 
get a bit excited and want to buy it. Yeah. Talk to me about how you've grown the business with that and the product. I must say that we, we have the sensation in Ecoal that we have been working this last six years in what nobody sees. So at the end, we spent so much energy convincing the fishermen one by one yeah. or convincing the one, the guy who to recycle the tires or the, so we've been working in all these projects a lot. No? So we are, I would say, much more respected in the sustainable world than in the fashion world. And on top of that, I always believed that we couldn't do a very fashionable product because that I don't believe in the product, which is, I want to do like sort of timeless products because that's more sustainable in my opinion. No? So we started doing quite a lot of timeless basic products. And right now we're working to try to okay, okay, we're timeless, but we're a fashion company. So I think we presented a capsule collection in Italy last week, which I think it's amazing, which is much more fashionable and it's having a lot of success. Carolina, what's her job? Uh, marketing director. She is wearing a pair of shoes that I really covered because <laughs> they say on them there is no planet B. Well, that's her claim because there's no planet B. Yes. I love it and yes. I wanted the sneakers. <laughs> okay, but I, mean, there's something I would send in them what, to you. We do need to make things that are desirable, yeah, that absolutely. people dream of. Absolutely. And I think the fact of showing people that it can be a very fashionable and cool product, but at the same time, it can be sustainable. I think it's very important. No? There's trains going that pass. Yeah, <laughs> everything is passing by through the here. Through I one. like it. I think it's atmospheric. <laughs> um, if you looked back on your younger self, could you have imagined the adventures you've been on? <laughs> Probably not. What did you want to be when you were a kid? A sportsman. Did you? Yeah. What kind? Show jumping. What? Yeah. <laughs> That's, I wasn't expecting that. I know, but my father was Olympic in show jumping. Really? Yeah, he was very good. Gosh. He was Olympic in the Rome in the Rome Olympiad. Yeah, he was very good, and he he always breeded horses. And uh, so, since I was small, I was uh, I was always riding, and I competed a lot. I was in the Spanish team since I was until uh, I was twenty three. Yeah, I trained like five six hours a day. Yeah. What on earth led you into the fashion business? By an accident, because uh, it was a complete accident. Because um, my father obviously I finished my high school and he wanted me to start working. And uh, I decided I wanted to create a company. And um, it was funny because I, I had been studying in, in Paris uh, because I did European business school, I had to do the last year in Paris. And in that moment in Paris, there was a lot of uh, beans fever, you know, like a bean, like a batch. Yeah. So when you went to the supermarket and you bought 10 Coca-Colas, they would give you a pin. Or if you bought Fargranone, they would give you a pin. I had been to five Olympic games with my father and there was always a lot of pin exchange. And uh, so I said, I'm, I'm going to start a pins company. I said, what do you mean? He said, yeah, I'm going to start a pins company. It was 1991 and uh, 1992 was the Spanish Olympic Games. And I said, I'm going to sell pins to different things. And my father was an engineer and he was very serious. And I said, what do you mean a pins company? He said, I do something serious. I said, well, this is serious. I'm going to start a pins company with a friend of mine from France. And, uh, and so we started sending emails to these companies, uh, to these trading companies in Asia. And finally, we started working with Fushin. I remember Fushin Trading Company. We wanted to give to make like a Mickey Mouse with 20 colors or, and we sold 8.5 million pins in 1992. What were they? Uh, pins of IBM, Coca-Cola, oh, everywhere, yeah. So they were all... Yeah, we made pins and, and we couldn't use the, the, the logo of the Olympic Games. It was just for companies to give out. It was amazing. And then in 1993... Did your dad then say, okay? No, no, no. He always <laughs> thought he was stupid. And uh, But at the end of the day, I was earning my money, so he couldn't say anything. So I could keep on writing and... So I never asked for money, I could pay all my salary, it was perfect. And um, 
And also at that time I had very good horses, so, so I was winning, winning quite a lot of competitions. And then in 1993, the crisis came to Spain and we did one million pins for Lois. You know Lois, the jeans company? It was, a, it was a quite famous Spanish company, Lois, and they went bankrupt, so they never paid, so we lost everything we had won. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was a disaster. My French friend decided he was going back to Paris to do an MBA, and before leaving, he gave me a little bag, uh, which was an island bag, and uh, so I put all my pins there in the bag, and I kept on visiting clients to make money, so nobody told me anything at home. And then one client one day say, told me, Javier, mm, I love your bag. Why don't you, I need like I don't 12. want your badges. Make I don't want your badges. Bag. No, I want your badges because I was always making badges <laughs> for them. But I need 12 bags for a board uh, to send the documentation. Who makes you, you know who can make me that bag? And I said, yeah, we'll make those bags. And uh, so finally I found a factory, but instead of making 12, make me 20. And one of the eight bags which had spare, I gave it to a friend who worked in a communication company. And he got another client who loved the bag. So finally I decided to create my bags company. So as I was jumping every weekend. I was every weekend I had a tournament around Spain. In the morning or in the afternoon when I didn't have to jump, I was going through the shops to sell my bags. And that's how my company started. And I sold in 209 with over 60 stores. When I think of a badge, I think of a political pin that would have a slogan yeah. like there is no planet B or mine would say rise and resist. If you had to sum up your journey on a pin today, what would your slogan be? Act now. Yeah. yeah. Act now. Act now. <laughs> awesome. All right. Act now. Yeah. Before it's too late. Message. No, yeah. not before it's too late. Positive. Positive. Act now. Yeah. <laughs> Could you say that in a rousing way for us? Act now! Yes! <laughs> Thank you, Javier. Oh, it's getting hard. My parents feel that I'm defending you. We tell them all that they are wrong. Because I love you. Thank you for listening to Wardrobe Crisis. To learn more about our guests and the issues that we've spoken about today, hop on over to my website, which is clairepress.com forward slash podcast. You can get in touch there and I really hope you will. I'd love to hear from you. And you can also find links to my social media. And finally, if you're enjoying the show, please head over to iTunes and subscribe. You know what they say, first in, best dressed. Subscribers are first to find out when there's a new episode and it also helps other people discover wardrobe crisis. So I'd love your help with that because the more people who switch on to ethical fashion, the better. Music is by Montaigne. She recorded this special acoustic version of Because I Love You, which is from her Glorious Heights album, especially for Wardrobe Crisis. How good is that? Thank you, Montaigne. Because I love you, my parents feel that this is a waste of time. I tell you where, okay, I won't admit that I am blind. My friends all feel that I'm carrying a steel. I tell them all that they are wrong. Because I love you, because I love you. Because I love you Because I love you